Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Before all of you start thinking that Julie and I are really smart, I have proof for you that we are not. (laughs) So, Julie and I had a little freak out this morning when there was a time zone, and as some of you guys know, we were living in the Caribbean or the Caribbean, whichever you would prefer, however you'd prefer to say it. And, um, well, we discovered that there's another time zone that we didn't know about called the Atlantic time zone. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with us, as we weren't as, you know, until this morning. Until recently. Now, until very recently. recently. Yeah. I mean, so there's a fourth time zone. I guess that's what happens when you live in the middle of the ocean and on an island. And this fourth time zone puts us four hours uh, ahead of West Coast. Not three, but four. And we have uh, coaching clients all over the world, and we are just for fun prior to the podcast trying to figure out what time it was in, say, for example, Hawaii and Guam. We have a new coaching client in Guam. We have coaching clients in Europe. And, you know, it's just kind of a little nerd out on our part, but still, it was kind of a little shocked when we were trying to figure out what the hell is going on in our watches and our schedules. Well, and schedules. Tim, to be fair, I have to give Karen, one of our assistants, a lot of credit because I started out by thinking she must have set something up wrong. And then I then I was like, okay, so where are, where are my premier coaching clients? And then it occurred to me something might be up with the time zones. So, yes, uh, yeah, we've got to figure that out. And I guess it's not like and this by- all year either, so we'll sort it out. We'll, expect, we'll hope Karen will have our backs. And by the way, Karen She's is in the Philippines, too, so I don't even know what time it is in the Philippines. All right, so listen, we have a topic. This is a topic I've been looking for. There's two topics that we've done recently, the one from uh, two weeks ago that Julie and I really liked. Julie, can you give them the name of that, uh, that series we did? And yes, then uh, this topic. And these, exactly. these, these, two, uh, these two go hand in hand. So this one is the one I've been threatening to do, Julie and I have been threatening to do for a while. This is a continuation of the one of the chapters in our uh, best-selling book, Harris Rules. So what we're obviously doing is we're testing out and we're, we're starting to outline new content for a new book. And uh, I appreciate all the great feedback we've been getting. And I have to say the, the show that Julie is about to read you the name of, that I think it ended up being four or five different um, episodes of our podcast – and we were genuinely nervous about doing that content, and I was so thrilled. I was, I guess, I don't know, it sounds condescending to say impressed, but, I mean, I was, that so many of you guys, it, it didn't offend you. It, it resonated with you, and you got it, and you totally understood where you were coming from. And we sort of had this big mind meld amongst you and tens of thousands of you who listened. So I really appreciate that. And so this podcast is a – Julie, you have the name of that show, the, that series yet? Yes. Uh, do you have a moral obligation to be rich in four parts? Yeah, there you go. So that was four parts. So go to timandjulieharris.com, go to Stitcher, go to iTunes, um, go to wherever you want to go, and listen to Do You Have a Moral Obligation to Be Rich, and that's in four parts. I think personally that's some of our best content um, are, as far as drill down. And what we're trying to do, what we always try to do, what we focus on um, and this is kind of like you guys are familiar with the term muse. Uh, a muse is basically something that motivates you, something that maybe you have. I remember uh, when Julie and I sold real estate, uh, we used to sell uh, real estate to a lot of the uh, executives that worked at Victoria's Secret. 
and Victoria's Secret had their headquarters in, uh, near New Albany, Ohio, where Julie and I sold real estate. And one of the gals we got to know told us that they have these muses that they create when they're trying to um, have, like, they're trying to think about new products. I don't remember the name, but they actually had a, a fake, like, the imaginary customer that they created. And they also did this in the White Barn Candle Company, too, where they would say, you know, let's call her Sally. So this is Sally. This is her age. This is her, you know, this is what she does in her life. This is how much money she earns. And every time they're trying to think of whether or not, like, they're kind of, create a new product or something they're running it past this you know the up and down the sally flagpole to sort of decide whether or not this fi fictional ca uh, character based on the nuances of their actual customers would buy that particular product and that's how they went about making decisions i thought that was kind of interesting so when i'm writing and it, it that for me um was interesting because it allowed me to realize that when julie and i started writing things for all of you guys back in our 20s our first book was uh, zero to ten million in one year it's not, it's not published anymore, so don't look for it. Uh, but when we were writing that, we then started to realize that we needed to find our own muses. So what we started to do, and this sounds a little bit selfish, but we still do it and it works, is we're writing for the version of Tim and Julie from, uh, hard to say, but 28 years ago when Julie and I got married. So what we're, only hard to say because I don't feel like we've been married 28 years, and I sure as hell don't feel like I'm 50. But that aside... So when we are writing content, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, okay, if we, were, if we had discovered this information when we were that age, what effect would that have had on our lives? How would that have helped us? What would it have saved us from having uh, mistakes that would have helped us to avoid all that type of thing? So whenever we're creating anything, um, don't, we're doing it selfishly. <laughs> we're, we're doing it in, in our minds that somehow we can take this content, we can drop it in some sort of time machine and send it back to the Tim and Julie from three decades ago so you know, they might not have to struggle and experience some of the hardships that we did, which all everyone does no matter in life. And I'm not asking you guys to feel sorry for us. I'm just, wouldn't it have been nice to have a roadmap to get you where you wanted to be and maybe you could have avoided some of the you know, encrustations along the way? So with that in mind, this is the five proven steps to become rich and stay rich. And this is going to end up probably being three or four podcasts. This is something that we put a lot of, a lot of thought into. It's, it's an evolution of a topic we came up with probably four years ago. And we're constantly working on this. And these are all the little pieces and parts. And some of them are just sort of shared wisdom. Others of, them, others of these points as we go through this are real drilled down to-do items. But this is all the stuff that we wish we would have known and a lot of this stuff is going to be foreign to you guys, so just have your minds open and uh, take notes, okay? And we're not ever going to share our notes. Sometimes we put some of our notes on the podcast, uh, but we're not going to put our notes uh, on, for this on our podcast just because we know it's going to change a lot as we get. And well, this is probably a good outline for the, the, one of the chapters or several chapters in our new book. But moral of the story is, is that um, you have to take notes. You have to listen. All right, so this podcast – is going to be in, oh, I said three or four parts, Julie. It's actually going to be in probably five parts. And the parts are, part one, guidelines to follow if you want to be rich. Okay, easy enough. Part two, why 99% of agents are blissfully broke. And I use, use the word agents, but the truth is, is everyone falls into that category. Blissfully broke, meaning that they don't know that they're broke, but they are. Part three, where does your money go? That's a question, right? Part four, wealth building course, folks. Part five, wealth protection and expansion and legacy. So I'm going to start out by telling you guys a story as I get attacked by the leaf blur. <laughs> this guy, Julie. I think I'm going to shoot him. I know. Him. All, right. All day long. Right? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know what, though? You live at the Ritz-Carlton in Puerto Rico. You're going to have some clean freaking sidewalks. I promise you that. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to start by telling you guys a story. So um, a lot of you guys who have been – you've been attached to Julie and I forever, so you knew this already, but I'll just – so I'll talk quick. So we've been, we met in high school. We've been married for 28 years this year. We had our anniversary just a couple months ago. Um, and uh, we had – Julie and I had owned a car cleaning and detailing business prior – to being in the real estate business. So we had started this business sort of informally when we were in high school. And in college, the detailing business actually grew to be quite successful to the point where while we were in college, the detailing business was making over $100,000 a year. We had um, a lot of really great customers. Uh, Les Wexner, who was the chairman of um, you know, the limited, I mentioned Victoria's Secret earlier. He was one of our customers. There was a group that some of you might be familiar with called the YPO, Young Presidents Organization, and a lot of those guys were uh, referring us to others and that type of thing. That's where we had a lot of our primal experience, not just how to run a business, because no, no one was telling us how to run a business. No one was telling us any of these th- types of things. We figured all this out by essentially building the detail business. It was called the Auto Spa. Um, we had people that had uh, private jets, and they would have us clean the private jets. Again, this was a business that we started when we were in, well, essentially barely 20, maybe like 19, and the business really grew to be something that was quite successful. And we eventually we got rid of the business, sold the business when we got into real estate. But the moral of the story is, is in that business we learned so much about hard work, but not just about hard work, about taking care of customers. These were customers that knew what to expect from high levels of service and whatnot. But, you know, I'm, I'll never forget, it was in the middle of the winter, and those of you in the Midwest know what the hell, you know, real winter is. And I had this customer, we had this customer, his name was Burke Schall, who was ironically in the real estate development business. And every winter, when the weather was crappy and nobody wanted to have their cars detailed, which was pretty much all the time in the winter in Columbus, Ohio, uh, Burke would call us over to his uh, office and he would have us, you know, it was this big, it's like something out of a movie, honestly, this big paneled walnut office and long corridors and very intimidating, the whole thing, to be honest with you. I was always nervous to go see him. And I remember uh, every, every year we'd walk in there and he would, we'd walk back to his desk and he'd just give us this, usually it was a box or it's just some, you know, big wad of keys or whatever it was. And he had like three aircraft hangers. That were full of all kinds of things, planes, classic cars, uh, jets. He had a King Air. Um, it's just all these things. Just And he would just basically let us go at it. And we always – the ironic thing is here is in Columbus, Ohio, in a car detailing business, and we would staff up in the winter just in anticipation of his business. And he did that every year. Um, and so in that the invoice we'd end up with, he would pay us monthly because all of his, his cars would take like – and stuff would take like months, two, three months to take care of. And we didn't take care of any other customers during that time, which was fine because they weren't calling anyway. And, you know, he was doing this. I want you guys to think about this. Why was he having us do these things, take care of these uh, planes and cars and buses in the middle of the winter? Why? He could have had us do it in the middle of the summer. He was doing it to take care of us. He was doing it because we knew we didn't have any other sources of money in the winter. He was doing it because that's how rich people act. And this is, again, a side stream benefit that we learn from working with these people of this caliber is the truth about how rich people think and act. This is where we got our lesson and how wrong we were uh, and, uh, with our, how we thought about money and how we thought about essentially rich people. That's really the bottom line, which you need to be open to what we're telling you for the sake of the, uh, you know, inputting or taking in this content that we're going to give you over the next few days. So 
I remember uh, I had this big invoice. I don't remember how much it was, but it was a lot, you know, a lot for somebody in college, right? And I had like two guys I had to pay and the whole thing. And so I remember walking into his office. The whole situation, like I said, was like intimidating, like you're going to see the godfather basically. And I remember hearing him scream, and he swore like – I mean I was jealous of his abilities to stream together <laughs> bad words. He was good, man. And I, just screaming and frothing. I remember his secretary opens the door, and I'm like walking in there, and this guy's on the phone yelling, blah, 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 blah. It was horrible. I was so nervous. And then I stood in the back of the room. I stood in the back of the room, right, in, in some freaking shadow. And then he waves me forward while he's still yelling at somebody with like five cars, or five calls holding the whole thing. And um, so I walked up to his desk, and I give him the invoice, and it was a lot of money to me. And he looked at the invoice. Remember how he was acting? He calmly said, "Okay, thank you. And by the way, thank you for taking care of my stuff." like if it were yours, or something to that effect. And I'll never forget he said that. So classy. And then he wrote the check, and then he gave us a 50% tip. Okay? And so we had a lot of other experiences like that from working with those types of folks because they were so appreciative of the fact that we were doing our best. Why am I telling you all this, guys? Because I want you to understand that a lot of the misperceptions that I had personally of being raised essentially poor and Julie had being raised, I'd say mostly middle class, that we had about rich people were just being beaten to shit because we were being exposed to how they actually thought and acted. I can give you countless stories like that. They're all reinforcing the points, the five points I'm about to share with you about how to essentially uh, accumulate money and how to retain it because that's where we got informally our formidable lessons from those folks. So – Here's a, a little the story I actually wanted to tell you, that little side trip I just thought you might benefit from. Maybe you did, maybe you don't. I don't know. It's fun to tell. So uh, when we were getting started in our detailing business and all the way through running it, we used to go out, and this is what we did when we were in high school. So everybody else in high school would go out, and you know, Julie and I started dating when she was uh, – how old were you, Julie? Fifteen. Fifteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we put pictures of us going to home, homecoming and stuff on our Facebook page if you want to see it. It's pretty hilarious. So we would go out, like everybody else in the weekends in high school would go out doing whatever the hell they were doing, you know, illegal, illicit activities mostly, I imagine, but, you know, just doing nothing, most of them. And what Julie and I did is we made a little flyer, and we put that. We would go to restaurants, and we would go to places where people with nice cars would be, and we would put this flyer on their windshields, you know, offering to detail their cars. And um, we were being strategic where we were going, but we were also being strategic about what cars we were putting the flyers on. And obviously, also, we worked at centers of influence and past clients. We'd always work. We didn't have all these terms then, but we would work all the, you know, the Berkshire types and all these others. And we put them on a six-month cycle where we just called them every six months and just became re- recurring like that. But we would go out every single freaking weekend, except if it was raining, every single Friday and Saturday night. Every single – we would not skip a beat about going to these nice restaurants. There were like six or seven nice restaurants and to these other places, and we would go and put these, call, these flyers on the cars. Now, we only put the flyers on the really nice cars. So if there was like a new Porsche that was sitting next to like three other cars – the flyer, the Porsche got one, the other cars didn't. But what we didn't realize was actually that was one of the reasons that people were calling us, and, and we started hearing this, how funny they thought it was when they walked out in the parking lot with their friends, and they had a solicitation on their cars, and none of their friends who had not nice of cars didn't. Why were we doing that? 
It's simple because generally speaking, if you have one Mercedes, this was back, remember, when this era was, okay? Cars like this were not that common. You were not seeing you know, all these fancy cars like you do nowadays. Back then, especially where we were from, if you saw a Porsche 911, that was freaking rare, I promise you. So the Porsche 911 would get the flyer, and then that guy or gal would have three or four other cars, of course. And so that's what we did. We'd look for the people that had multiple cars, and we would take care of their cars. Chances are we knew somebody that they knew because we were you know, circulating amongst those groups inside this sort of you know upper-end class of wealth in Columbus, Ohio. And we got to know some of the most amazing people, some of the most amazing people in this area called Bexley who were just some of them were like fourth and fifth generation wealth and just the nicest, sweetest people um, anyway, I can talk forever about that. But the reason I'm telling you that ultimately is because when we were out, we were walking past these restaurants. And I'll never forget um, every, you know, it would be cold. It would be shitty out. Julie and I would be hungry. I'm not exaggerating. And we would be putting these flyers on these cars. And we'd be walking past all these restaurants with these glass windows. And these people would be on the other side of the glass having, these, having a great time, obviously. You know, and you know, occasionally we would see people we knew, like, kids or you know young adults whatever the hell you'd want to call us we would see them there or we'd see them with their parents and here julie and i are out schlepping in the parking lot okay that's all that happened and i remember saying to julie one day we'll be on the other side of the glass do you remember when that happened julie i absolutely remember that i can picture Uh, the parking lot yep yep describe it because i remember too and it was cold i'm pretty sure it was at the um dublin uh, movie theaters where there were restaurants yep, surrounding that the theater. Restaurant and there was there right were, there. Yeah, and there were people having a pretty nice-looking meal there, and we were freezing our butts off. And, you know, what's funny about that is, you know, back then we didn't even really realize that we were prospecting. I think we would have just called it, like, hunting for business, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we wouldn't have cher- called it cherry-picking either, although that's certainly what we were doing with the thought that you'd have one contact with multiple cars. You know, I think that's just like at that point in our uh, lives was survival of the fittest thinking. But, if, you know, thank you, past Tim and Julie, because we learned a lot of lessons from that, you know. So, yeah, I we totally did. remember that. But I do remember it. It was that restaurant. It was a Cameron Mitchell's restaurant, Julie, if you remember correctly. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's where it was. Yes, I remember. I mean, we were just little stupid kids then, you know. Well, maybe not so stupid in retrospect, right? <laughs> and I remember we had this one day, Julie, will be on the other side of the glass. Yep. What we yep. didn't know. Okay, what we didn't know then, which we would, had we known, we probably would have done it a lot faster, was that we would indeed one day be on the other side of the glass. And the other side of the glass became something, and is still to this day, something Julie and I say to ourselves. Being on the other side of the glass means that you are essentially rich. Now, were those people on the other side of the glass in that restaurant rich? I don't know. But for us as kids, when we were hungry and we were out there in the cold in Columbus, Ohio, and probably in the middle of November, or whatever horrible month it was, you know, yeah. That was something that we wanted to aspire to, and we did, and we never gave up on it. Not even a fucking little bit did we ever give up on it. And those of you guys who tuned in to us, you know that's true. So here's what, where all this goes, basically, is as we move forward, we've learned a lot of – we've had a lot of hard lessons. And so those hard lessons are going to be the things that I'm going to hope, hopefully you guys internalize and use for yourselves. So – when we're thinking about how to write things, how to express things, we, our muses are those two kids from that long ago. That's who we're writing to. So please take this information um, and use it yourself, but then maybe consider using it for somebody else you love and expand upon it. Because these are the types of things that demystify 
wealth accumulation and completely unpoliticized and undramatized being rich. And that's really what your focus is or what it should be because you're an entrepreneur and you're a small business owner. So that was the intro. So part one. Did I get through all that, Julie? You yeah, did. I did. I, okay, let, no, let no, me no, just we did. pause for a second because I Go think ahead. you and I sometimes can glaze over these things since these are our um, memories and our early business um, development and things like that. So I think that part of the reason you told the story of uh, taking care of the planes and the buses and things in the winter and how you were treated by those clients and how classy they were, and we have lots of stories like that where Silly comes to mind and some other, um, you know, like classy, wealthy people. My thought was I'm really glad that you shared that story because we have listeners who probably have messed up thinking about wealth because they've never been exposed to classy, wealthy people who have taken care of them, who have had those thoughts, who have demonstrated how to really handle yourself with money. I know that those were my probably my first experiences with somebody like that, where I, I stood aback and said, well, wow, you know, like we would have wealthy clients who'd go on vacation while we were freezing our butts off detailing cars, and they'd bring us stuff back from their vacation. They thought to bring us, not their kids, okay? I mean, I'm sure they took care of their kids, but us as in we were not their kids, okay? Things back from their vacation. They would tip us in cash around the holidays, you know, well, demonstrating it, I mean, that we, kind of class. I, there's a better word we, than class, but you get my gist. Yeah, but it's a it's an understanding of like liking like is really what, what I came to realize yeah. it was. They realized that Julie and I – we're trying to do something. Uh, yeah, to her point about talking about their kids, it was kind of funny because a lot of times these people did try to get us to pair up with their kids. And like, well, you know, Bob needs a job in the summer detailing cars. They wanted their kids to feed off of our energies. And occasionally we did make the mistake of allowing that to happen. And to a person, they were always – they weren't what would, one would call hardworking. But that's a rabbit hole that we don't need to go down. So part one is guidelines to follow to be rich. Part two is why 99% of the agents are blissfully broke. Part three is where does your money go? Part four is wealth building course, folks. And part five is wealth protection and expansion and legacy. All right. Here we go. Guidelines to follow. Rich is where your money works for you, and you no longer have to work for your money. I want you guys just to write these down, okay? So point number one, and we're going to reference back to these. We don't want to vamp um, on these points too much. Just write these down, and these are absolute guidelines that you have to understand. If you are writing this down and you don't understand, it's okay. You'll understand more as you listen to the next few days. Guidelines to follow, again, if your goal is to be truly rich. Rich is where your money works for you. You no longer work for your money. Guideline number two, your goal is to create seven sources of income with four being passive that will cover your personal monthly overhead. Again, your goal is seven spokes. And a, a spoke is just merely, it's uh, you know Tim and Julie's way of saying it's a source, right? So your goal is to have seven sources of income and four being passive. I'll vamp on that just for a second. So if your sources of income now are all based on a real estate transaction, if the real estate transactions stop, you're screwed. Get it? So what you've got to do when you're starting, everything's going to be based on your core uh, practice, your core you know, function of real estate transactions. And it makes sense that you might have some ancillary income that comes off the real estate transactions as well. But if that spigot dries up, and we'll give you some real-life examples of how easy that is to happen, then you're screwed. So what you've got to do is you've got to have seven spokes of income with four being passive, in other words, not reliant on a real estate transaction to cover your own personal monthly overhead. 
point number three, guideline number three, do not set long-term goals. Create a plan to become rich and free within 24 months. I know that's counterintuitive to every single thing you've ever read, but trust me when I tell you, do not set long-term goals. Long-term goals are mostly bullshit. I, look, here's a simple example. Would, if you had asked me a year ago, I'm looking at Facebook pictures <laughs> from a year ago um, you know, of uh, our family, and I'm looking at uh, these pictures of us back in Texas with our, our cows and our chickens and our, our ranch and our, you know, the things. And now we're living in the Caribbean at the Ritz-Carlton. We're living in Puerto Rico, Dorado Beach at the Ritz-Carlton. Would I have guessed a year ago that we'd be here now? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. No. And the yes, the cows are okay. Stop typing. Yes, we took care of the cows and the chickens. Everybody's happy in Texas. It's all good. Yes, yes. The cows, the cows were, that's right. The cows were pets. They're living with our friends, Justin and Celeste Connolly, and they do have to uh, send us occasional signs of life videos showing that they did not become, you know, a nice dinner. dinner. And uh, the chickens are, um, actually, I think the get chickens went to the Connollys too, didn't they? Yeah, I they think did. the coop went to them and some of the chickens went to the neighbor. But, uh, oh, you're right. Happy. We got yeah, that's right. Everyone's, so everyone got rehomed. So there you go. Good point, Julie. All right, so do not set long-term goals. Long-term goals, guys, uh, the longest of the long-term goals you should be setting your, for yourself is 24 months. That creates more pressure for you to get things done quicker. If you set long-term goals, normal life headwinds are going to slow you down, blow you off course. So set longer-term goals that you can actually accomplish. Um, guideline number four, I believe, a successful day is when you've accomplished three to five things where that were all required for your long-term plan, your 24-month plan, and we're going to get more into that. But that's the essence of a successful day. Is when, like, I'm going to use Chuck Williamson as an example. I know he's a podcast listener, but he's also somebody that a lot of you guys loved, and I uh, did that interview recently with him. And if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it. So, you know, Chuck is this true massive mega, whatever sort of fancy word you want to attach to him. He is uh, one of the best agents in the country. You've never heard of him. He has no social presence. He has no team. He has no brand. He has none of those things. But he is one of the wealthiest um, self-generated, you know, first-generation agents that you'll ever meet. And how does he do it? Oh, I know exactly how he does it. He follows our coaching. Exactly. That's what he does. He does exactly what we tell him to do. He's modified it slightly for his, you know, I'm not, it's not an ego statement, but that's what he's done. He hasn't tried to modify it or change it. He's just followed it. By the way, if you guys want to learn more about our coaching, if you want to have an opportunity to free coaching call, just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. So the moral of the story is, is that at the end of the day, guys, your, your successful day comes down to the accomplishment of three to five things. And those three to five things are going to be real contacts. So, for example, five contacts with um, decision-making adults. It would be spending an hour doing some physical activity. It would be being demonstrative and showing love and appreciation towards the people in your immediate family. It would be praying, meditating, whatever you want to call it. it you guys get the idea? So. Drill down, make your successful day, determined on three to five things. So at the end of the day, you'll know you did what you were supposed to do. Those three to five things, for example, working out for an hour every day, that improves your future. You're working forward with that. The same goes with setting appointments. The same goes with all the things we teach you guys in the coaching program. Text the word Harris to 31996, okay? So there's a thought for all of you. Three to five things, that's it. 
plan or point uh, next guideline is assume everything that you have been told or sold to believe is BF, BS until it proves itself otherwise. Most of the things that agents have bought over the last 10 years were based on hype and emotion, not profit-producing facts. That right there is a bitter pill for most of you to swallow. That most, if, if you've only been in the business since, say, 2008 or 2009, which is the vast majority of you, I promise you that almost everything that you've been told about real estate is wrong because you have only been in real estate during the advent of all the social media crap. And some of the people out there that are the biggest hucksters selling this, some of our competitors, they are very effective at leading you to believe that you need to be wasting countless dollars and hours on social media and not doing the real work. And on a future podcast tomorrow or the next day, we're, we're going to peel the layers back on why they're telling you this, but more specifically, why you're allowing yourself to believe what you must know intuitively is a lie. You already know the answer, don't you? Because there's no rejection. It's the perception of the easy button that you're so attracted to, which goes back to a, a point that we'll be making tomorrow or the next day, which is why you're continuously broke. Because you keep on looking for the shortest path. You think there's no ability in finding a hack or a shortcut, and there's not. And I'm going to convince you of that, at least do the best job we can um, probably tomorrow. Okay? So I want you to start with the assumption that everything that you've been told, and I put in brackets, sold to believe about what it takes to be successful in real estate, especially if you've only been in the business since like 2009, somewhere in there, is probably wrong, probably predicated uh, based on a lie, and it's probably one of the reasons why you've not accumulated any wealth since you got into real estate. It never will. You've skipped some critical steps, and we're going to tell you about that. So look, this is the podcast for today. We're going to pick up tomorrow where we left off today. This is uh, one of those topics that I'm hoping you guys can really appreciate and dig your teeth into. So from this, pro uh, from this topic, you can then develop your own personal wealth philosophy. But trust me when I tell you, that there are not a million different ways to accumulate wealth. There are not a million different ways to become successful financially. There are not a million different ways to retain your wealth financially. There are proven paths that you can follow, and the breadcrumbs are everywhere. If you just listen and look and learn, we had the blessing of being associated with a lot of people that took an interest in us when we were back in our car cleaning and detailing days. And some of them told us things, and they left us little breadcrumbs to follow that created momentum for us to get into real estate. Matter of fact, one of the most, um, uh, I think one of the, he wasn't, he didn't realize he was our mentor, but a guy named Jack Rosselli, he's the one that originally told us to get into real estate. You know, this car cleaning and detailing business, and we listened to what he said. He had a huge Ferrari collection, so I'm going to listen to what somebody who has a few huge Ferrari collection is going to say. Trust me, I'm always going to listen to what they have to say. Okay, you guys getting what I'm saying here? So these are the little, these are the little pieces and parts, the accumulation of all of our knowledge about accumulating wealth that I want you to internalize and seriously consider making part of your own fabric, your own, your own uh, wealth-building DNA. So we're going to pick up tomorrow where you left off today. And if you guys want to talk about this, if you want to talk to me about uh, joining EXP Realty, if you want to talk to me about joining our coaching program, just text me directly at 512-758-0206. Look forward to the continuation of this over the next week or so. Um, and again, love your feedback. Thank you for all the wonderful things you guys have been saying. Uh, and if you're on iTunes, you're listening right now, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. But make sure you leave a five-star review. Don't wimp out and just give us a four-star. You know you want to leave a five-star. You will not be able to sleep very well tonight if you do not leave us a five-star if you're on iTunes right now. <laughs> okay? You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. 
This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. Thank you.